Hey everyone, welcome to Founders 365 with me, Stephen Haggerty. Today I am joined by Matt Hodges Long, founder of Track My Risks, and also something we're going to be talking about is prepared.uk. How are you today, Matt? I'm very good, Stephen. Yeah, thank you for having me on. No, thank you for joining me at five o'clock on a glorious Sunday day where nobody should be leaving their gardens. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got the lawn mode today, so we're all good. Yeah, you're more productive than me today, let's face it. I'll be I'll be completely honest. Um, so, Matt, tell me all about, before we jump into what you're focusing on at the moment, but just give me an overview of what you do and, and what you've been doing in the past couple of years. Yeah, so um, I work. I run a company called Continuity Partner that has a software platform called Track My Risks and a managed service business um, as well. And we look after companies helping them manage governance, risk, and compliance. So we work with companies to... Um, help them avoid the elephant traps out there, whether it be regulatory fines or uh, business interruption, failing to meet their insurance requirements, losing contracts unnecessarily, et cetera. So kind of what's going on at the moment is what we do as a day job, but just at a completely different sort of biblical scale, really. So yeah, yeah that is, this is the sort of subject matter that we're talking about with clients all the time. Um, it's just that normally what we talk about, people don't really think it's going to come true. Um, so this is kind of a very strange situation to be in at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a real world example of what you talk to about, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we talk a lot about pandemics to customers and, and they look at you as though you're a bit daft or did. Mm. Um, so then we sort of turn that into, well, what if it was a um, communicable disease in your office, norovirus around the office or something and everybody got sick? Oh, yeah, I can understand that. That might happen. But there was never a really a glimmer with most clients that yeah. a global pandemic would actually happen. We'd had so many near misses with SARS and MERS and Ebola mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. And although Ebola wasn't a near miss, but, you know, from a UK perspective, yeah. um, this was something that wouldn't happen to us. And now it's happened. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, it's it's been a very weird few few weeks, actually. It's, uh, yeah. Never what, did you, what did you see from your position when it did start to happen in terms of businesses had to start getting closed, you could people could start feeling the impact. What were people's responses that you saw? Um, it sort of fell into two stalls. So the companies that we already worked with, we'd all, we were already sort of talking to them about enacting their plans two mm -hmm. weeks prior to the wider shutdown. Mm -hmm. So we were speaking to them regularly to talk through what the different scenarios might be. And it, it's really weird now sort of looking back to the first client that had a COVID-19 newsworthy story, um, which seems like a lifetime ago and sort of dealing yeah. with that as an exception rather than the rule. Um, so with, with those ones, it was sort of very much just, well, we've got the planning in place. We didn't really think it was going to be as big as it's actually been, um, but it is. So let's mm -hmm. work for it. So including people like private schools, you know, that were thinking about, do we send the kids home or do we stay open or what do we do? Um, but I think in the wider business community that I work in, um, I think there was a lot of the, the panic as it became more and more real. I think the panic set in and, and people yeah. think, you know, this is bigger than everything, anything we'd ever expected. Um, so it's and, th and then we moved into the grief phase, really, which is businesses going, they're folding. How do we access government money? Mm -hmm. Do any of these sort of supposedly great mm -hmm. government schemes to save business actually work, especially with smaller businesses? Do they actually deliver? Mm -hmm. um, so it's yeah, it's been um a topsy-turvy time and I've delivered lots of COVID-19 webinars with a guy called Rod Cartwright so that was seems like a lifetime ago that was two weeks ago that we were busy doing yeah. those um, and even now if I look back on those and it was talking about what might happen and there were no such things as lockdowns at that point but it might be yeah. ahead and now we roll forward two weeks and we are where we are so it's, uh, it's been strange. 
it's uh barely getting our head above water sometimes i bet if you're having all these conversations yeah it, it, it's it's calmed down a lot actually because i think people are now they've moved beyond the planning they've implemented and it's more yeah. a question of, of maintaining this sort of new business as usual if you can mm -hmm. call it that but yeah. in the run-up to what should we do should we shut should we stay open how should we communicate with our customers that was the really tough phase now it's more a question of everybody's in the same boat so and some people are suffering more than others mm. and it's working with those and just helping them and then you know as a business we even despite what we do we still have customers that are in distress financially so there's the contract renewal discussions there's the uh round robin emails from procurement departments saying we're all yeah. looking for the slides to tighten that but you know we're not we're not immune to that kind of pressure like everybody mm. else despite what we do for a living yeah it's one of those things that i think no come every single person has been affected in some way on a business or personal level uh, that could just i'm guessing from like a risk management side it's one of those things that you could probably predict to a certain degree or assume to a certain degree but surely there's there's some things that happen that no one would ever have guessed or no one would ever have had plans for well you'd, you'd have it on your risk register as sort of being high impact, extremely low probability. So it's yeah. one of those things that you never really spend a lot of time dealing with. Yeah. If you walk into a customer and say, let's let's do a simulation of a pandemic, they'd look at you like you're a lunatic and they'd say, no, no, we want to do a data breach or we want to do a, a yeah. fire or a flood or something like that. Um, so prior to this, my largest sort of crisis event I'd worked through was Hurricane Sandy, mm -hmm. which was, you know, wide area across the whole tri-state area of New York. You know, that was, that was huge. Yeah. And, um, you know, in our community, you sort of think, well, it's never be you know we'll probably never have anything bigger than that in terms of the area that was covered well how wrong were we um so yeah and it, and talking to other people in the crisis management world i mean if somebody asked me this on a podcast the other day but effectively the, i've dealt with a lot of incidents over the over the years and helping customers recover from that and broader communities but i've never been personally involved in the incident as well sure. it's always been an abstract yeah you know, whether it's Grenfell or Buntsfield oil fire or all of these different things that we can remember, um, I've never yet been personally involved. Mm -hmm. This one's really strange because my daughter works in the NHS and, you know, you see neighbours around you and you know people that have um, have succumbed to the illness and all those sorts yeah. of things. So it, it really is personal. It's, it's been very hard to kind of separate professional me from personal me, if yeah. you like. And that's been really hard. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah, it's such a awful time for so many people um in terms of risk management crisis management how do you think this is going to change that industry because i'm super curious to know what your thoughts are on that um well i think it could be profound i mean i think i'm hoping one of the things we always bang on around about is as a species our inability to learn from previous events uh. whether it's the deep water horizon um oil spill whether it's grenfell tower you know, all of these things that were eminently avoidable that still to this day we haven't learned from, we haven't mm. changed our behaviour. So I think what's going to happen now is I think people will be a lot more attuned to preparedness and resilience. I think the flip side of that, and I think this is where it could get quite scary for society, is that um, the next time somebody has a cough or a rash in a foreign land, um, there's going to be a massive potential for overreaction. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're already seeing that. Well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we could end up with a, a real kind of stampede. So we've got to be really careful to keep yeah. muted and balanced. But I think I'm hoping the legacy from this will be, as a society, we're better prepared. Mm -hmm. We take 
risks a bit more seriously. But more importantly, we're ready to react quickly as soon as we get, you know, an understanding this isn't a drill, this is real. We yeah. need to ramp our response up so quickly. And we've just been way, way too slow as a country. Mm -hmm. uh, we look at the country level to respond. We we didn't change our behavior quickly enough. Yeah. And some people still aren't, which is just infuriating. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it is one of those things. Um, so let's talk about what you've done to help in this sort of time, because you've created something called isprepared.uk. Yeah. Talk to me about that. So um, three weeks ago to the day, or actually three weeks ago on the, on the Monday, um, I got a phone call from our local community uh, group that were getting together to say, look, as a community in, down here in Surrey, uh, for, in an area of about 80,000 people, we need to get ready for this. There's problems coming mm -hmm. and as a community we think we should get together to, to help our community so they asked me along as a an expert in this area to give them some advice and I, I ended up getting involved in that small group that formed um, so a, a, an organization that pre-existed by a few days called Surrey Heath Prepared um, had already sort of established with a Google form to say we might need volunteers um, so we got a steering group together and we over the last three weeks, have built an organisation that now is two and a half thousand volunteers, wow. has over, helped over a thousand people with help requests, has a steering group, has fundraising in place, uh, has a payment system going live for, for cashless payments for shopping for residents tomorrow, mm -hmm. um, has a governance structure, um, and uh, has an ID scheme as well. So we've built this organisation um, as a group. Um, what I took responsibility for was the governance, risk, and compliance bit, including systems. Mm -hmm. So we built a software platform to actually manage the recruitment of volunteers and management of volunteers and the management of requests for help and the allocation of that work. Yeah. Um, so that that has gone through. It's on its third iteration now. The fourth one is being built as we speak. So I, I diverted my tech team from normal operation to, to this. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, which has been great. They've been brilliant. Um, and we sort of rapid prototyped and long story short, that software platform is now rolled out with another four council areas. So um, Spellthorne, Runnymede, Marlow and Hart down in Hampshire. Mm -hmm. um, and we've sort of taken the view now that we, we're working with AWS and we're going to not open source that, but effectively make it available to any council or community group that wants it. Um, and we're not charging for it. But what we're asking people for is if they can contribute to our support costs and hosting costs, yeah. that would be fantastic. But we're not going out and saying, you know, this is £2,000 a month, sign here, sign the order. Yeah. Uh, we're making it available. But, you know, we're, we're only a small company and the, the cost of operation could potentially be pretty ruinous to us. So we're looking, asking people if they can make a contribution. That yeah, would be fantastic. So, yeah, that's, that's where we are. And it's um, so really looking to get the message out there now and uh, help get that deployed to whoever needs it. Brilliant. And what sort of... What sort of, sort of um help requests do you often are you seeing come up on there so primarily um so where the pinch points are is food shopping and pharmacy collections mm -hmm. prescriptions and i think what we're seeing across different areas is that people that should be shielded at home or are vulnerable sort of over 70s and people with underlying conditions are being forced effectively to go out and mix in the community because they have to get their prescription they have to get their yeah. shopping and there's no other way in a lot of communities to get it because you, you can't get a click and collect space uh, slot yeah. with the supermarket you can't get a home delivery quite often um so you've got cash in your account um you want to buy shopping but you can't actually order it and pay for it 
so it drives you to go to the shops and stand yeah. waiting with other people and putting yourself at risk um so we we've really been sort of working on that and sort of saying to people look you don't have to do this there is a team of people that can do it for you but then that leads to logistical problems of well how do i actually get money from that person's bank account to the shop or to the volunteer to reimburse because you might go and buy your next door neighbor five pounds worth of shopping as a favor but if you're doing 12 shops a week for different people adds up 600 700 800 quid and you don't want to be taking cash from people because they can't mm -hmm. even get the cash you don't want to be taking and we've seen around the place people taking people's debit cards and yeah. i machines through the window and all sorts of craziness going on um you know and as a risk person that kind of fills me with all sorts of horror mm. so about building a structure that's sustainable and hopefully isn't an attractor to fraud yeah um and when we look at back after this after the event it's not um there might be bending of the rules like gdpr and you know finance rules etc but there isn't wholesale breaking of them and ignoring good practice yeah. so a lot of it has been trying to sort of build a mature scalable organization that isn't going to burn itself out within a fortnight yeah exactly um, the, where there's a very high risk of doing that so yeah how are you guys currently reaching those people that are most at need you know i'm thinking where you've got sort of an elderly person living on their own doesn't have facebook not really connected to social media yeah. how are you reaching that or if you can how would you reach that person well it, it varies from area to area so what we did in surrey heath right at the very start is we did a door drop to all um 40 or so thousand households in yeah, the in the area uh, with a with a central telephone number and a central website address, mm -hmm. um, and quite often there were local addresses, but local telephone numbers put on that as well locally. Um, and then that, on top of that, there's been local radio, there's been um, advertising and signs up on on barriers and bollards and all that sort of stuff yeah. around the constituency or around the area. Um, social media referrals, um, lots of different ways, really. You know, every way we can get to get the to get the word out. So yeah. you know. Been, it's driving about 100 calls a day into the call center at the moment on a, on a standard day um other areas around that we've worked with some of them haven't been particularly quick out of the traps they were two weeks behind mm -hmm. um so they kind of missed the opportunity for door drops because of having lots of people walking around going door to door isn't the best oh, thing yeah. at the moment um and some council areas have a tendency to want to control from the top um, and so they'll sort of say, we'll drive all the calls into a county level call center. And then you end up with wait times of 10 to 15 minutes to two hours. Yeah. And real delay of data getting down to the coal face for servicing. So th there's some pretty poor practice going on out there, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty bad, sad to see. Um, and I tend to jump into that and say things I probably, well, I should say, but I'm overly forceful. Yeah. So I, I usually trot out my history will not judge you kindly for that decision kind of line. That's a great line. People. Yeah. And I think they know exactly what I mean because there will be inquiries after this. Yeah. And certain senior executives that should know better will have to stand on the mat and explain why they let people in their areas, especially chief executives of councils, mm. why they let them down at this time of crisis. Yeah. So my view as a professional on this is I'll explain what I think and I'll show you where I think you're going to hit bottlenecks and how that's potentially going to kill people or certainly massively disadvantage them. And if you choose not to take my advice, that's up to you, but I'm going to make it formally to you as a professional. Yeah. So I've had a number of very heated conversations with people, or not heated, but pointed. Mm -hmm. And some have taken the advice. That's great. Some of them have just effectively emailed to say, thank you for your musings, your, um, but um, we have no problems here. Everything is yeah. fine. Crazy. That yeah. is just absolute nonsense, isn't it?
Yeah, that must be so frustrating for you as well, because you have and you and the you know you and your partners, you have this amazing platform that is enabling change and help, and you're still coming up. And to this day, you know, two three weeks in, to hear that you're still coming up against people saying, you know, oh no, we're good. You know, it's basically going, no, no we're good, thanks, cheers, cheers, Matt. On yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, you know, and I see councils that are managing, you know, thousands of vulnerable because the, the you sort of split down, so everybody's vulnerable that's self-isolating, but you have the known yeah. vulnerable people within a council. Yeah. Then you have shielded by NHS, and even the vulnerable people that have been known for for years are being managed on spreadsheets. Mm. There's just, no, just a name or a number. Yeah, and there's keying errors and there's there's all sorts of data. I mean, we've yeah. received emails, you know, this person needs help. Um, no house number, no name, um, no key information. Four hours after the call came in, yeah. then you've got people having to rekey that information. We're just saying, look, stick it into our, in your call center, stick it straight into our is prepared platform. And then the local person, the local volunteer that's in a small town split into a zone, that person gets that requirement instantly yeah. that you hit send and could close that job out within minutes not two days later it's um it's massively frustrating and it just shows you how much of a a gap there are within systems in terms of council systems and and government yeah. system that is probably has the right intention but it's just being used in the completely wrong way in this situation and obviously this yeah, situation think, yeah. is so bespoke yeah they're, they're rabbits in headlights quite often and i think the you know they have they've got such a big issue to deal with yeah and i think what they need to do is they need to say look you know deal with the bit that only the local council can do and then engage mm. the community to look up you know neighbors need to look after neighbors so give them yeah. some help to organize and they'll do it you know everybody will do it yeah people will need some organization um and quite often what will happen with councils is that everybody looks up so the district council or the borough council looks up okay. to the county the mm. county looks up to national and the leadership from the national government is so poor from a crisis management perspective you know in terms of no social distancing up until the very last minute, mm -hmm. not moving to a virtual parliament, saying they were going to send a letter a week too late to everybody to stay at home, which thankfully I think has been canned. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kicked off about that properly. I thought spending £6 million on sending a letter to people about something that they should have known about last week was a complete waste of money. Yeah. Um, you know, I could critique it all along the way, but it's not helpful at the moment to mm. have a real go at the national government and local governments. We'll yeah. do that afterwards when we do the wash-up. But... What it does show me is that quite often people that might be okay as managers in sort of peacetime are usually really shit when it comes to you know wartime. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think failure to understand your weakness as a leader in that situation is the ultimate failure of leadership. Mm -hmm. Good leaders stand aside and say, "Do you know there's somebody in my town planning department that is has emerged as a superstar? That person is a town planner, but actually they're amazing in a crisis. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put that person up." And I'm going to empower them to do their job properly rather mm. than saying, you know, I'm Johnny Big Bollocks, the CEO. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lead, but not lead. I'm just going to hinder. Yeah, ego led. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that to me is absolutely unforgivable. You know, I, yeah. I'm the first to admit I'm the worst possible manager in peacetime, mm -hmm. but I know what I'm doing in, in wartime. Yeah. So and sometimes that's pretty brutal, the way you need to manage change through. Yeah, but I'm terrible when I'm having to do things sequentially and win hearts and minds and bring it across. And luckily, I've got other people in my organisation that take care of that stuff and keep yeah. a lid on me. But when it's this sort of situation, I'll do it and I'll say what I think. Um, Which is what's needed. Yeah, each each to their own. 
Mm. You know, I wouldn't go and step forward to be the chief exec of a local council because I'd be terrible at it, (laughs) politics and all that sort of stuff. But don't try and tell me, Mr. or Mrs. Chief Executive, that you know what you're doing when it comes to managing a crisis. Yeah. Because you quite obviously don't. So let the professionals in. I think to me, one of the big failings in all of this is that regardless of what the scenario is, you know, these organizations should have planned prior to this event. Mm. You know, and they haven't. They've they've been asleep at the wheel. Yeah, because there were warning signs and, you know, warning signs that we probably never even knew about that they did. Yeah, we've only got to look at Grenfell and how Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea behaved in the lead up to that and during that crisis and after. Mm. And look at the inquiries now. You know, any other council area could have looked at that and said, well, hmm, we might have another Grenfell, but also something else might happen and we wouldn't want to look like those guys. Yeah. Why don't we have a meeting and actually talk about how we're going to manage a crisis event? It just sounds like, from what you're saying, it just sounds like there's an incredible amount of fear of people stepping up and and speaking their mind and leading the way that they should be, that they feel that they should be led, uh, which is a real shame. Um, And that's not in government, but just in general, you know, any business, any business leader or any person, personal leader shouldn't really have, shouldn't feel that fear to not be able to lead. Because even those people that uh, may not be great in a crisis, they can still become great in a crisis if they wanted to and if they learned to, you know, say they came on a crisis management with you, for example, you know, followed you and said, look, Matt, I want to become the best crisis management leader in this company. How do I do that? But people don't seem to be doing that or it's too late for them now at this point anyway, because it's just, like you said, people are in headlights. People are just in in the zone so much now. Uh, But hopefully after this, you know, new training is going to come out, a new education yeah. for leaders that is going to change. Well, we think, yeah, we. I, I'm hoping so. I mean, I think there's the, so one of the things we've always talked about to clients in the past when we sort of said, look, when you get a problem, call us early. It's the sort of that difference between somebody falling over with a heart attack in the office and the first aider comes across and does that sort of immediate first aid yeah. preservation of life bit. But you're relieved when the paramedics turn up and they've got proper drugs and the proper equipment and then they're yeah. going to take you to a proper intensive care unit with the proper equipment, et cetera, is that chain of command that needs to be put in place. But when you've just got enthusiastic sort of semi-trained first aiders still thinking that they're now the the A&E consultant because of yeah. their title, that's the problem. And it's about getting the right people at the right time. Yeah. The, the other thing that I found is that, um, or know is that you've got to be thinking ahead. So everybody at the moment, they're on the sort of tr- scrabbling to try and keep up with today and they're behind. Mm-hmm. They can't clear the backlog. And really what you need to be doing is sort of thinking strategically, how's UK going to look or how's my council area going to look in three or four weeks' time from now? What's the long tail of this event going to be and how are we going to start building structures that are going to work for the next six, nine, 12 months? You can't do that when you're running around trying to, you know, unjam the call centre because there's too many calls coming in because you've built yeah. a structure that doesn't work. So that's why they need to take the medicine and they need to listen and they need to engage professionals. Yeah, Lots of people out there uh, that know what they're doing. Most of them are not getting calls from councils, from government to say, can you come and help us? Can you advise? Um, everybody's become insular. And most of these people aren't too busy at the moment because mm-hmm. they might have been furloughed by their company, but they're available to help. Yeah. Um, but people aren't asking for help generally. Um, and there seems to be this standoff, really. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it just want to get the word out there that people need to ask and they need, you know, people are there to help, you know, and they exactly. just need to lift the phone so, or send an email. So on that note, what can people do to 
become more involved with what you're doing with isprepared.uk, um, whether that's getting it into councils or getting it on their systems, what do they need to do to help you? I think at the moment, just just reach out to us. If, you've, if you're involved in a community group or an area that are maybe running groups on Facebook or spreadsheets and mm-hmm. it's a little bit chaotic, it's not too late to, we can import all of that data. We can roll a platform out within a couple of hours, um, brand it all up, logo it up, and you can promote the absolute heck out of it on local radio and Facebook groups and all that sort of stuff. Um, we can help with the organizational piece in terms of how do you organize. Today is my first day in three weeks that I haven't had a five o'clock steering group call with Sorry Heath Prepared. So we're now, we've now moved down to three days a week rather than seven because we're Fantastic. up and running. Yeah. Um, it frees up time. Um, so we'll help and do everything we can to make it happen. Um, and then, um, yeah, just, just reach out really. And if you want to forward the link on to any local councillors, MPs, whoever you want, if you're feeling they're not listening, send mm-hmm. it on. They can call us anytime or send us an email and we'll get them up and running and start getting these, this, the logjam un, unwound and yeah, start exactly. getting help delivered. That's the thing. You're you have a solution that d- drastically reduces help time. That yeah. no every single council, whether they think they need it or not, should be taking your taking this offer of help. Because um, whether they need it this week, they might need it next week, like you said. So it, it will it will get worse. And I think a lot of a lot of people are saying at the moment they haven't got very many requirements, and that's because it's so damn difficult to get a request for help. And it seems like yeah. such a bother. Um, but if you actually make it easy for people, then people start saying, well. I'm 80 and I'd really not rather go to the shop to get some milk and a neighbor says I can do that for you. You just got to put them together quickly in a frictionless way. And there are lots of people at the moment with too much time on their hands that are more than happy to get out and about and do some shopping for people and pick up a pharmacy prescription and do that in a secure way in an organized legitimate way. And it is often those, you know, that 80 year old elderly person that doesn't want to ask for help. You know, they, they don't want to be a burden, but now you have a solution where it's not even being a burden. It's just being a good human, basically. So yeah. look, I'm more, I'm more than willing to help you. I'm more than willing to get your shopping, get your fa- uh, prescription. Because yeah. I think one thing that I've seen, which has been fantastic throughout all this, is the fact that communities ha- are starting to come together more and people are starting to help each other more, um, which, you know, I really, really hope that after all of this passes, that little bit carries on not it obviously won't carry on to the extent but i really hope that the the belief changes of actually you know what communities are something that should be brought back into life yeah Um, as it was you know a year ago you would say you would read papers and say that the community is dying and people aren't aren't wanting it anymore but actually i think this shows that actually community is probably one of the best things that people should be focusing on yeah, and I think we've seen seen people, you know, new friendships forming, albeit from a from a distance. Yeah, um, and I think the, without being too pessimistic, the long tail of community problems is going to be, you know, measured in quarters or years, maybe, mm-hmm. um, as a result of this, based on the amount of people that have lost their jobs and the yeah. central tax rises we're going to have, and actually recovering from this is going to there are there will be casualties along the way, um, and I think communities will need each other to get through this. So if we look at something like Grenfell, nearly three years on, you know, that, or actually no, three years on, that community um, is still supporting the community yeah. as a result of that incident, you know, three years after the event. Yeah. So let's build a structure, make it efficient, and then we can run that. And hopefully in the future, we won't need it. We'll, we'll mothball it. And then if we need it again in the future, it's very quick to take it off mothball yeah. and wrap it back up again. Yeah. 
we haven't got to build it all from scratch. No, exactly. Matt, listen, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. One one final question for you is if if what three things could you give to someone if they're in that, you know, lights rabbit in headlights sort of mode to get them out of that and allow them to start seeing two, three weeks ahead? Um, I think one is you're not alone. Everybody is um experiencing this so you know reach out to your friends colleagues suppliers customers so you know from a business perspective mm-hmm. um everybody's dealing with the same issues ask for expert advice you know go out and ask for it does anybody know how to solve this problem yeah uh, and then i think the third one is you know try and keep calm and and if you can sort of separate your personal feelings from from it, it, if at all possible try and sort of segment the day um to get through it and realize that you know there is an end to this Mm-hmm. Um, it probably won't be as disastrous for everybody as we might think it is, and try and keep some perspective. Yeah, um, and and you know, read widely and use the time productively. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for that, Matt. Listen, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, like I said, get involved with this prepared.uk. What's the best way for them to do that? Okay, so um, so is prepared.uk is the the web address for that. You can reach me at Matt. M-A-T-T at trackmyrisks.com, trackmyrisk.com, which is the, the day job, um, or via LinkedIn. Um, just find me. Uh, I don't think anyone else has got my name, so it's Hodges Long, H-O-D-G-E-S hyphen L-O-N-G, um, and connect with me on there. But, uh, yeah, you'll find me. Um, and, uh, yeah, put up the flare, and we'll be there for you. Fantastic. Matt, thank you for creating this. Thank you for doing everything that you're doing, as no well as thank you know pass that thanks on to the is prepared team as well because uh you know people like you is such a great thing to happen nowadays thanks thanks for being on founders 365 and thanks everyone for listening and watching this has been founders 365 with me Stephen Haggerty